Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Good morning. You know what that means? That means you're listening to The Mystery of Parenthood. I am uh, Trey Cashin, and I'm joined by several great people today. Thaddeus is on the board, and then we've got two guests that are that are awesome we'll introduce after we say our prayer. So everybody pray, for, pray with us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, so extraordinarily excited. Today I've got it, it, Thaddeus's better half. I mean, really, yes, really yeah, absolutely half. true. We're talking about Robin Romanski is here with us because we're, we're talking about trials and issues of motherhood and trying to get, provide hope for people. So we're excited that this is a little bit of a different tale. And, and joining... Um, her is Allison Auth, but I'm going to let Robin introduce herself and give some background, and then just on her, and um, we've heard a bunch about her and through through Thaddeus, but um, and then all we'll, good things, all good things. And then we'll introduce our special guest from afar. Sure. Good morning, everyone. This is Robin, and Trey is correct. I am uh, joining them today because about a month ago, I think I, well, not really stuck my foot in my mouth, but maybe shared with Thaddeus a little too much interest in a book that I was reading. And uh, all of a sudden I'm here conducting an interview of that author. So um, I'm, I feel really blessed to have the opportunity and have our five children um, kind of entertaining themselves with the help of a <laughs> babysitter around the corner outside the studio and um, to have the opportunity to speak with Allison Auth, the author of yeah. Baby and Beyond, Overcoming Those Post-Childbirth Woes. Awesome. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce Allison. Um, Allison, is, uh, Allison Auth is a writer and blogger who lives in Denver with her husband and four children. After graduating from Fran Franciscan University of Steubenville, she worked in youth ministry and marriage preparation uh, until dedicating herself to the, to the homeschooling of her children. Having gone through four postpartum experiences, she is passionate about sharing her knowledge and bringing hope to those struggling in their vocation to motherhood. And uh, grateful for her and for Robin to be here because well, I guess absolutely me and me and Thaddeus haven't really experienced motherhood. But no, anyway, <laughs> Allison, I've, I've welcome. Experienced it vicariously. <laughs> vicariously, that's right. Hey, <laughs> Allison, welcome aboard. Thanks for coming here, and uh, we appreciate you being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Well. Beyond that, is there anything else? How old are you? Tell people about your kids, and then we'll let, turn it over and let uh, Robin start running this down uh, the list because I think it's better for two mothers to talk, and dads will just interject. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I have four kids, um, like you said. So Robin is the expert here on the show because I think the more kids you have, the more you know. So with five right. kids, you've got me beat. Right. <laughs> My kids are three, five, seven, and eight. And um, so I wrote this book last year. Well, I started it probably 
the majority of it was written last year and the year before that. So right after I kind of came out of the postpartum funk after my last child, Zoe, myself. And so um, it was just perfect timing because I was still close enough to that postpartum stage to remember what it all was like, but sleeping enough that I could actually have a chance to sit down and write it. So um, that's kind of where the book came from in that time of my life. Okay, so I've got a question just coming off of that little statement, Allison. So for mothers that are out there listening um, to us today, how did you how did you decide that you really could invest the time that it would take to write a book with four children? Oh. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that there was like one specific moment that I made that decision. Um, it just kind of happens a lot more naturally than that in some ways. I do describe in the beginning of the book, um, just after Zoe, my fourth was born, I felt like a lot of puzzle pieces were fitting together, that all the struggles that I had had through that postpartum experiences with all the kids, I was finding a lot of answers and finding a lot of healing. And I did feel like someone needs to write a book about this and put all these pieces together. I didn't really think it was going to be me. I enjoy writing and I have been doing a lot of blogging. So the writing came naturally to me. I really love getting my thoughts down on paper, but it wasn't until one night I was in the shower where I, I talked to God a lot in the shower because it's just quiet and I'm by myself. <laughs> and, um, I really felt like you put it on my heart to write a book. And I just thought, well, um, are you sure you have the right person? I, I don't think I'm up for that task. Uh, I haven't actually read a book myself in probably over a year. So the first thing I did was just start reading other people's books um, just to get back in the habit of reading. And I would jot notes down here and there over the course of like six months. So up until um, my daughter's uh, second birthday is when a lot of those notes happened. And then there was like a really intense two month period where most of the book came together from those notes. Um, and then everything else just uh, came from there. All right. Now, specifically, when this stuff was coming together, was it coming together at a specific time of the day? You know, up early before the children? I noticed it says that you homeschool. I homeschool our children too. So I know that a homeschooling day is full. Um, and actually, Trey yeah. and Stephanie homeschooled yeah. their six children um, up to, I think, is it seventh grade seventh normally? Grade, is when you... Yeah, with the last the triplets in seventh grade. Yeah. So that's yeah, okay. hard to believe. It's almost drawing to a close here. But. So we know the demands of homeschooling. And yeah. so now I'm curious, how does carving some time out to write a book look? Well, um, my oldest was in, it was kindergarten, first grade during that, during some of that time, um, second grade. And we just, we don't take homeschooling as seriously as maybe other people do, which is fine by me. Um, so there's just a lot of playing. So only a small part of our day was dedicated to homeschooling. And then I actually stayed up, I'm more of a night person. So I would stay up late doing some writing or find some pockets of time in the afternoon, put on a show for the kids for a little bit. So, and the ideas were always swirling down. I'd run to the computer and write something down so I didn't forget about it. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of finding that time here and there, you know, taking a Saturday to go do some writing. So um, it really, it wasn't because it's such a passion of mine, because I had so many things to say, and I really felt like this was a mission that God had given to me. Um, it, it just came together quite naturally in, in some ways. Um, it wasn't a very difficult, uh, task overall. Finding the time was probably the hardest part, but using it well, like the words just came. So I don't know. I, I credit that to, to the Lord for uh, <laughs> knowing that if this was going to happen, he was going to have to help me out. So, <laughs> right. Allison, this is Thaddeus here. Um, you know, I was really hoping you were going to say the reason I was able to write this book, I couldn't have done it without my husband. He was instrumental in, you know, giving me carving out the time for me, watching the kids. Uh, no, but seriously, um, was this process something that was it good for your for your marriage relationship? Um, did it did it bring you insight on how your marriage relationship um, either was 
uh, how that related to to mothering and, and parenting? Did, was that a, an important part of the process of the writing of the book? Um, I think the the lessons that I learned that I wrote about in the book were really helpful to our marriage. I'm trying to think. So I don't think it was the book itself, um, but it was what I had learned that I wrote about in the book that really made a big difference. And um, so whether, you know, I'm writing about NFP and my marriage very specifically in the book or just other areas of parenting or realizing um, he's been very, very good. And like when I say that I need some time or I'm not doing so well, he's good at responding to that. So we've learned to communicate (laughs) about these challenging times and, um, he's been very supportive about the book. I can't say he's read the whole thing cover to cover, but um, but he's very supportive. I mean, he's watching the kids right now as uh, we're doing this interview. So I feel like we, we've talked about a lot of the topics in the book, and I for sure couldn't have written it without um, having grown in, through these experiences with him. That's really neat that you went through this intellectual exercise and, and you kind of processed your experience. And by that, you, through that, you learned lessons to, to strengthen your, your marriage. That's, that's really beautiful. Robin? Yes. So, Allison, in my mind, after reading the book, I kind of have us maybe with five categories, physical recovery, mental recovery, marriage and NFP, spiritual life, and then your community and identity section. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, in, so in my head, that's how I have some of our questions broken down. But before we start in that specific, you know, in the beginning, when you're talking about, um, the post, your birthing stories and your postpartum stories, um, you know, you make reference to kind of something that comes up in your community and identity chapter, which is when you are meditating on the mystery of the visitation and, Mm-hmm. Kind of just the importance of community in that time after having a child, right? When when so yeah. much has changed for us, um, whether it's in the beginning, the first one or two things are changing in terms of, um, well, if we were working and if we are going to be going back to work, we're home now, you know, right after a baby. Or maybe we were mm-hmm. working and we aren't going to be going back to work. But, you know, a lot is shifting and it changes some our community. So maybe if you could um, speak to that, that, you know, that time when you um, were meditating on the visitation and kind of how that helped promote some of the desire to write, you know, this book for women. Yeah. So um, Meditating upon the mystery of the visitation, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, she's just um, found out that she's pregnant with the Son of God, and Mary is about to give birth to John the Baptist after you know being infertile for so long. And it just really struck me um, how beautiful and necessary that was for both of those women, um, because Mary's going to be there probably for the birth of John the Baptist and those few months afterwards that, you know, are so difficult after having a baby. There's just so much that changes. And to have an extra pair of hands, um, somebody that can help you in that time is just so invaluable. But the lesson was also beautiful for Mary because she's about to have a baby. You know, she's never been through this before. And so she's learning from Elizabeth what it's going to be like and what is birth like, what is it like afterwards. So they're learning from each other and they're helping each other. And that's really, I think, what we are meant to do. And for thousands of years, uh, when men and families lived in much tighter communities than we do now, and I think they passed on that information to each other and they lived these experiences of birth and postpartum together. And oftentimes nowadays, that's not the case. We're very much isolated. And um, a lot of times we don't have family nearby. Um, we're listening to uh, the internet and other experts on babies as, you know, telling us what to do. And we're really missing out on, um, on that hands-on experiences 
living and communicating with other women who are going through the same thing. And even um, I think a distinction to make is not just having friends, but having authentic community that you can be real and vulnerable with. Because I, especially, uh, you know, with Timothy and Lily, I I went to some mom's group and I had some friends, um, but it wasn't, but I felt like I was still struggling alone. I didn't feel like these were women that I could really open up my heart with um, to the depth of what I was really going through. I didn't feel like they did the same. And so we really missed out on, on an experience of authentic community uh, from there. So I just think it's really important. I've been very blessed, but it's also been high on my list of priorities to find that community. It's always been high on my list of things to pray for is for those friends that I can be vulnerable with and those uh, neighbors that can really help out. And over time, God has really answered those prayers. And I find myself in a community that has, that I am, I'm growing with and I'm sharing with. And I really don't think I could have written the book with uh, all its vulnerability without having those experiences of doing that in real life. So I would say that experience of the visitation with other women is is really essential to this time, for sure. That's exactly what I was hoping you would speak to, because <laughs> I so often, and the great thing as I was reading your book is, I mean, you were writing things that I thought they were terms I coined, like being touched out. I, th- I said, Thaddeus, how is someone else <laughs> writing this? I thought I created that term. Um, but you know, I have been saying or, you know, I find myself after having another baby saying, you know, I think we're still doing it all wrong here in America because we have great, it seems like great support for women, even from, let's say, from a medical standpoint, leading up to the birth of a child. And then mm-hmm. from the time you yeah. have the baby to your six week checkup, well, you've got six weeks of trying to figure out, you know, is this normal? Is this is this mm-hmm. right? Is is the baby doing the things he or she is supposed to be doing? And is my body healing the way it's supposed to? Because each, as you know, you have, you have had four, but it seems like each birth experience in that postpartum recovery is a little bit different. And so there have been, you know, those times where I've said, I think, you know, women didn't have to do this before because we really, in those communities where families maybe lived closer geographically and aunts and mothers were there with, you know, cousins and sisters and nieces helping and the younger ones learning, like you mentioned, Mary learning from um, Elizabeth, that, you know, it's, you are able to be more vulnerable because of the relationships that family kind of necessitates uh, many times, whereas you're not so, I guess, willing initially to expose that with new friends, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Anyhow, yeah. so that's a great, you know, a great backdrop for I felt for the book and um, and kind of what you're going to be speaking to. But before I kind of go on, I want to remind uh, the listeners that we are here um, on the mystery of parenthood, and I am in the studio as a special guest um, with Trey Cashin, and we are interviewing Miss Allison Auth, and she has written a book, Baby and Beyond that I have just finished reading. And so we're kind of talking and chatting with her about that book. Trey, is there something That's that a, comes up since you're sitting well, right I was here just, before? I was just thinking it's, it, how difficult it must be. Stephanie came back from, from a trip, and they were talking about how this generation is, is well-connected through the Internet and through um, their phones and stuff are the loneliest of people, the people who feel the most disconnected um, from others. And I mean, I don't know if there's an answer to this, but I mean, you're, you're right. Having people who've gone through it before you're having a, a, um, an older person who's been through that you can ask or who's going through something and, and all that interaction and the energy of a young person who might encourage an, an older, I can, I'm just imagining having not actually carried a baby, <laughs> but, but, um, I think that, I think that it's, critical to try to figure out how do you get people together any suggestions on that or i mean i don't know does that happen how did how did you find your community allison i mean did you already have them or pray you obviously you said you prayed for it but i think for people who are listening i would think the ladies would be okay that sounds great how do i do how do i get there 
any encouragement mm. for them or, or, I mean, I know it doesn't <laughs> well, happen as easy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the parishes can be a great place to find other women who will share your faith that, that need that friendship. Um, my parish uh, has never, both of the parishes that I've lived in as a mom have never had a mother's group. And so when my second was born, I really needed community because I didn't have anybody. And so I started one at uh, at a nearby parish, and it was kind of like a joint effort. Um, and it was a little bit of work, but it was worth it. It was very fruitful, and a lot of women came. Sometimes you just need somebody that's just going to put in the momentum to get something going. Um, so that's one avenue. Another one now is just through those prayers. I mean, Denver has a really strong sense of Catholic community. Um, there's a lot of really great things going on here. So I feel a little blessed in that way, but I know that's not going to be the case in other parts of the country. Um, but just getting, so right now I get together with a group of 12 women and we just meet at the chapel every other Thursday and we just pray over the scriptures together. And again, it was just, you know, one or two mothers saying, this is something that we need to do and just getting it going. So we need some more um, women to take that initiative and um, either work through their parish. And I know it seems like a lot of work, but it's really not once it gets going because the the mothers who are there want to be there. The hardest part is just learning to be vulnerable. Um, but that comes with time and it comes with prayer and it comes with being on the journey together. So, I mean, I, today, (laughs) later on today, after this interview, I'm going to drop dinner off to a mother in our group that just had a baby. And it's also those other, other ways of just making your presence known and felt and what can I pray for? And can I bring you a meal? And just trying to, uh, just think outside. Sometimes it's just helpful to think outside of my own home and all the chaos going on here and just say, how can I reach out and help somebody else That's who, great, right? who's in need? So, great you know, it's just, it's the little things. Yeah. And sometimes I think being in that place, you know, it's easy to um, turn in and feel like there is no way I can take on making another meal right now with the chaos that mm-hmm. I have in my own home. Mm-hmm. However, you know, God always provides the grace it seems yeah. in the present, right? So when, when I'm taking that leap of faith and putting my name down on the meal train for someone's, um, you know, post baby meals, I'm looking at the date and thinking, gosh, I hope this is going to work out. And it always does, <laughs> you know, it can come yeah. sometimes get a little hairy and, and crazy, but it always does. And it always, um, you know, the, the grace that comes is always you know, a hundredfold or, yeah. you know, plenty. And it bears fruit. And it does bear such and beautiful fruit. And there are times, fruit. too, that like, you know, when when you are, you know, uh, a month into having a baby or something like that, you're it's, it's okay to say, now is my survival time. I really can't make a meal for another person right now. I need the meals made for myself. And that's okay. And I think that a lot of mothers need to just be able to admit when they need help and to ask for that and say, hey, I'm really really struggling right now. Um, could you pray for me? Could you bring a meal? And then when you get out of that, you know, survival phase, um, then you're able to return the favor for the other mothers. But there's that give and take, and that's all part of being in community as well. Right. And, th- and Allison, that is one of your chapters on mental recovery. Um, you do mention kind of labeling the time as survival mode. So that your expectations on yourself and for your family are are different than the other times, you know, correct. And you also mention in that chapter that you kind of relate to how if you look biblically, God really doesn't mind the chaos. In fact, he chooses it a lot. Right. (laughs) Right. And he reveals Mm -hmm. himself a lot in that in that chaos. So while for us in the midst of it, it can feel unnerving or like everything is frazzled and falling apart, you know, whether inside or in our own homes um, sometimes. But that really that in those places, when we surrender, then that is what allows for the spiritual growth and God to, you know, bless us with his graces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you look at the life of Mary and there was, um, you know, nothing perfect about that 
being young and unmarried and, you know, becoming pregnant and then, you know, having to give birth in a stable because there's no place for them. They're far from home. Like it's, it, you know, when you look at that story from that outside perspective, it is just pure chaos. And so I take a lot of comfort in that and knowing that God is there and he is working even when it looks crazy on the outside because he's working so internally, just to remind me, I think, especially in those postpartum times, it's just a reminder that I don't have it all together and I cannot do it on my own. It's been a good foundation of humility to just realize that I need the Lord to do this well. And, um, you know, to fulfill my vocation as a mother is something I'm completely reliant on him for. And so I think when we can, you know, take that realization to say, it's going to be okay. I'm in survival mode. If I've got laundry all over the house and I just need to take a nap, um, you do what you need to do. You order pizza for dinner. You use paper plates so you have less dishes. You do all these things just to help yourself out. And then you surrender to other things that are outside of your control. And really God, yeah, he's, he's working in the midst of all those little things to help us to say yes and to surrender and, and trust in him. And then there will be a time on the other side, <laughs> you know, when you're not in survival mold anymore and you could get the laundry done faster, something like that. Right. So true. And then <clears throat> I believe you also talk, talk a little bit about, you know, that stage when you have all, for the mothers that are listening that have all little ones, right? That, you know, you have a toddler and a new baby or, a four-year-old and a two-year-old and a new baby. Um, that time of, you know, where it feels like everyone is is so needy for so much, but it's hard to see that really it's just a short period. And then just a matter of, it could be days when the baby starts sleeping better or maybe months when the four-year-old is five and is able to tie their own shoes or, you know, mm-hmm. help help you by getting themselves dressed to get out the door. You know, whatever it is, how quickly it changes and you know, it doesn't, it doesn't always look like that toddler and baby, you know, for 30 years. Right. Yes, they do grow older. And Trey, I'm sure you can <laughs> attest to that. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, um, I think, go ahead, you finish. No, I was just going to say, yes, five, if you, all your kids are under five, you're in survival mode. And it's just that plain and simple. <laughs> hey, we didn't have that defined, but we had six under six at, at at one point. So I do remember, okay, I do remember the, I do remember the man and Stephanie is the most organized persnickety person it, that I know it, but through that she had to, she had to let go of things. I mean, she absolutely said <laughs> when the triplets came, I was pretty sure I could handle twins, you know, to add the, to, to have five. But when, when the doctor said you have triplets, she was like, I knew there was no way. So I think sometimes in the chaos, sometimes in the in the madness that you think is that you're out of control. In fact, you are. But it's just to remind you uh, that God is a participant here and he's providing the grace. And he did. So anyway. Mm. Right. Much mm-hmm. like um, in Second Corinthians twelve nine, Allison, you quote that, you know, how his power is made perfect in in that weakness. When you like Stephanie came to realize, wait, triplets, I can't, I'm pretty sure there's no way, there's no way I can handle that. <laughs> and, and that's really, I think what God wants, right. You know, to, um, have us have to just tear up our plan and realize he's got it, you know, and, and it's part of the great adventure, to be honest. I mean, I'm sitting here as a husband to watch, I mean, it's a great adventure of a family to now look back and, you know, everybody's got all their appendages and <laughs> nobody's killed, nobody's died or anything like that. And, and it's been such a great thing. And we hear, you know, to have that many that close and to see them, the youngest being 18 now, about to graduate from high school. And that's the great joy. So it's not the end. It's very, it's relatively easy now. There's still a little bit of correction and direction for kids at, at 18 even. But but to see our kids come back together. And so I think sometimes you do have to keep your eyes out on the goal because it, it mm-hmm. you, you can get through those difficult times, but it's worth every second and every amount of effort to, uh, to do that. So anyway, yeah, there's hope on the other side, even with a husband like me. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, okay, so Allison, if we can, I would like to, since we're ta- we spoke a little bit about the spiritual component, um, I enjoyed reading that chapter and um, just have a few things that I would like to share with the listeners, especially, or like you to share with the listeners, because I think they were um, kind of really uh, poignant and specific ways to think about the spiritual life as as a new mom or as maybe not a new mom, but maybe a mom of a new baby. And I know that you have done some work with engaged couples. I think that is something that you spent time doing. Maybe, was that prior yes. to children or in the middle? I think in the middle of while you had in the children. Middle, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, I know a common question that my husband and I get when we are doing work with engaged couples here through our parish uh, is, you know, right now I spend an hour every day in um, adoration and my prayer life is really important. And what would you say to me going forward? I mean, obviously that can't, it probably can't stay like that when we have a family, you know, or it's going to have to change. And we're nodding our heads saying, yes, it's going to change, right? You won't get an hour every day. Um, most likely to sit in front of the blessed sacrament or to be there. So I think it's, uh, it's good for people to hear some of the, your, your ideas and examples of growth in the spiritual life during this time and kind of to get us started. I know you, you uh, specifically talked about echoing Mary's yes, kind of in the ordinary and, understanding and accepting that if God wanted motherhood, this is a quote from you, if God wanted motherhood to be filled with holy hours and church events, he would not have created babies to be so needy. (laughs) Um, So if you could just give us some, a few examples um, of ways that, you know, practical ways that moms can continue growing in their spiritual life or just to spend the, what, what spiritual growth looks like kind of practically during that time. Would you mind, you know, doing that for us? Sure. Um, Yes. Coming from working in a church, you know, where I did have those holy hours and I went to daily mass and then, you know, being home with so many babies so quickly, it was just such a change in every way possible. And then I just felt like God was disappointed in me because I wasn't spending as much time at the church that I used to. And it really wasn't for a long time um, that I had some books and some priests speak into that and realize that God is, I'm just in a different phase right now. And that God isn't asking me to be at church. He's asking me to be with my baby and in caring for my baby and in saying yes to the vocation that he's giving me, I am saying yes to him. And the whole point of prayer is that you would become closer to God. And um, when I read that in the catechism about St. Therese, uh, her definition of prayer is just raising your heart and your mind to God. I realized that actually I am doing that during the day, and I just didn't realize that that counted as prayer. Um, but, you know, when I would just say, like, Jesus, help me, because there was too much chaos going on, or um, a lot of times when I was struggling with those negative thoughts about myself and still do, I know just, Jesus, I trust in you, and I try to have some holy images around my house, so whatever room I'm in, I can look and have that reminder that God is present with me. And so a lot of it just became realizing that I'm learning to love through the challenges of my vocation, and that's exactly where God wants me to be. And um, so if I can just raise my mind to Him as I'm doing my chores or taking care of my kids, then that's that's prayer. And so just expanding, expanding that definition of what that was for me. And then I uh, mentioned in the book a story about um, steam cleaning the floors and uh, how Timothy, my oldest, who was five at the time, was in catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And uh, he came home and saw me steam cleaning the floor and was like, Mom, you know, the, the steam looks like incense and it's rising to heaven. <laughs> um, and so that idea of like putting my prayers on the steam cleaner and letting that rise to heaven as I'm doing my ordinary everyday chores, uh, just realizing that's what Mary did. Like her path to heaven was saying yes to whatever God asked her, which 
led her to being a mother, to making meals for her family and teaching uh, Jesus to obey and to walk and talk and grow. And when I realized that my life looks a lot like hers in motherhood, um, that there was a lot of hope there for um, my vocation and um, for realizing that I can do this. And yes, this is my path to holiness. Yeah, I would, as you said that, I, the, I'm amazed at how many times God will speak through a child because I that image of you of the steam coming off the floor and and him making reference to incense is perfect. I mean that's that's a that is a divinely inspired child moment I think because that points you mm-hmm. back to the fact that that's exactly what that is. That is your prayer at that moment because you're doing what you ought to be doing. Right. So. Um, anyway, but I, th- I think it's important for people to hear um, that it's okay to do what you're supposed to do as a mom. Right. <laughs> That's right. what you're supposed to do, not that, hey, let me get through this so I can go over and get my hour in adoration. Right. And I think also because of the age we live with technology the way it is and social media the way it is, it could be easy to feel like this can't be all I'm supposed to do. Right. There must be, God must be calling me to more when you feel as a mom of five or four or six or one, I, I can't even get done all I'm supposed to get done with right in the home with what I have. How can he possibly be asking more? But if you look at other people who are bloggers, speakers, you know, um, small business owners doing other things in addition to raising children, um, you can feel perhaps there's more that you're not doing. And mm-hmm. I recently have discovered that instead of, you know, I'd often be praying for, you know, yes, Lord, I want to do, I want to do your will and show me what that is. And I'm thinking, you know, down the road, like big picture. And I think God was thinking, like, change that diaper. (laughs) You know, that's what I want you to do, Robin. That's what I need right now. Love your children. You know, it was, he was speaking in the, you know, zoomed in, um, picture and the zoomed in view of my life right in my home with them. Um, not, you know, some huge event like Mary's ordinary, you know, like we were talking about. Yeah. I, I just, as you were talking, it made me think of the fact that, that Jesus gave us the Eucharist and it's just plain. It's not even something that a kid would actually go and say, Hey, I want one of those as it's very ordinary, very just, ordinary and that he, that that's where he makes himself present. I think that we get lied to a lot in this culture. So I think moms probably more than any, but dads too, that somehow there's something greater, something more important that you should be doing in your children or your family or your husband or something or your, whatever is getting in the way of that greatness. When in fact that is the greatness. I mean, that is what he revealed about, through Mary and the Holy Family in Nazareth, that there was nothing more important than what you're doing. So sometimes we have to see in that ordinary the fact that that's exactly where Christ makes himself present. Mm. So Mm -hmm. great stuff, I think. Yes. And then, Allison, you also mentioned some practical um, examples of outside of the, you know, um, the lifting your gaze throughout the day and those moments of prayer looking different than say a holy hour, but just as important. And, and that's where you're praying throughout your day. But also you spoke um, specifically about your, your morning offering and your examine at night. And I would just, if you would feel comfortable kind of telling us what has worked for you, because you can, you go into a little bit of detail about kind of revamping your, your idea about what the morning offering should look like. And then you give some good description of how you do your examine at the end of the day. So um, the morning offering was a habit that I had developed uh, as a youth minister and um, was something I wanted to continue to do as a mother. Um, So in my office as youth minister, it was, you know, on my bulletin board and I would see that as I walked in and just kind of, um, this was part of my day. Um, but at home, I just, everything's a little crazier at home. There's not the order that there was in my office. And with all the kids, you know, I never knew how much sleep I was going to get that night or, um, 
you know, what time I was going to wake up in the morning. And I was just a lot more frazzled. And mornings weren't like this peaceful waking up and being by myself with a cup of coffee and my Bible that I desired it to be, probably from looking at other people on Facebook. Um, And so I had tried a couple different things. I had printed off this morning offering and I had tried to put it by my coffee maker because I knew I was going to drink coffee every day. Um, But it was just something that I read while I was making coffee. Then I tried to put it... um, behind my sink with the plant I never watered. And (laughs) I had all these ideas of this going so well, and it just didn't go well. And so I just felt like, well, I can't even uh, pray a morning offering. But I had a priest encourage me just to pray in my own words. And it doesn't have to be at a certain time or a certain place. A lot of times it's like, as I'm walking down the hall, and I can just say, Lord, I give this day to you. Because the most important thing is my intentions and to have that attitude starting out. And then other things can happen from there. But I I was letting um, the perfect be the enemy of the good. And I was like, well, I don't do it this way, then it's not going to count. But like with so many things in motherhood, I just had to be a little more flexible with what I was doing and not letting the guilt to keep me away from praying because I missed that perfect moment. Just to say, whenever I remember and whatever I can do, like I'm just offering this day up and it's that intention that counts. And then um, from there, other prayers can be added throughout the day, but it's, it, it just looks different than it did before motherhood. Um, and that's okay. Um, so (laughs) that's where I am with the morning offering. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing special, but it puts my day in the right place. Well, it's great Um, that you say that because (laughs) I have the exact same journey with my morning offering. And, you know, I've gone from, um, St. Teresa of Calcutta's morning offering that I had printed out. It was on the back of everybody's homeschool binder. We were going to start the day with it. Half of my kids couldn't read, but and it was a long <laughs> prayer they couldn't memorize. Um, you know, so so I have evolved with my own um, morning offering to m- much the same thing as you. And I found it, you know, that it, it's important for us to remember as moms that, like you said, not to let the perfect get in the way of, of doing something good, right? And so... Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciated that I that I could relate to you with that. And then I enjoyed the encouragement that you gave about ending the day with the examine. Um, and I, I liked, you know, you broke it down, obviously, from Ignatian spirituality. And, and then, and, but it was a really specific, nice little summary of how you, you end your day. So could you speak to that now? Yeah. So at the end of the day, a lot of times I'd just be disappointed with the way things went or how I failed or didn't do all the things that I wanted to do. And um, I had a friend tell me how she had been using the examine to uh, end her day. And it just kept coming up in a whole bunch of different ways. And I thought, okay, Lord, like you're trying to tell me something here. Um, so the five steps that I have in the book, um, you can find them on, I, I mean, it's from a website that I'm quoting, but it's, it can be really simple as you're laying in bed that you're just say, come Holy Spirit, like help me to review my day. You can think about something that was good about your day. Um, just whether maybe your toddler liked the meal that you made or, you know, you finally got the floor cleaned or whatever it is. It could just be one little thing or, you know, something the baby smiled at you or something just to be grateful because um, that is always helpful to our attitudes and for realizing God's presence in our life when we have something your gratitude for. So come Holy Spirit, be grateful for something in your day, and then just see how your attitudes were, your thoughts, your feelings. If I'd been really short on patience and yelling at the kids a lot, that's something I can bring to the Lord. It just helps realize, you know, what kind of uh, state that you're in. And then just to ask forgiveness for the sins and shortcomings and then look forward tomorrow and um, just asking God to, to help you do better or to help with whatever decisions you need to make and just to end with an Our Father. So there are simple steps that can be done. Um, as just a way, and I feel like that's been really helpful. Like when I realized that I needed help, um, because 
I couldn't keep it together and I was losing it all the time and ended up in the doctor's office. I think it was from kind of realizing at the end of the day that I had been doing a great job. So the examine is just a way to see how God's working in your life and where we might need help. And it can be super simple as you're falling asleep at night. Awesome. Thank you. Um, you did speak about the importance of um, scheduling your um, confessions and making sure that you frequented or frequent now uh, that the sacrament and the mercy of God, you know, through that sacrament and how someone, I think, I believe it was a priest that told you, you know, you wouldn't just shower twice a year, right? So there's a reason that for us to go more frequently. And I believe you said, you know, now you try to go every couple of months at least, if you can. Trey, do you have something mm-hmm. that, you, yeah. Trey's sitting up. So I thought, well, maybe no, he's got no, something to add here. Back, okay. but, but, I, but I do think it's a good, it's very easy to let time slip by. It, we, we talk often about having to be purposeful and intentional with, with what we're doing. And so things that are important, you make time for Right. things that are, that need mm-hmm. to be done. You make time for. And so I, th- I think that's great advice to try right. to set some time and whatever time it is, but certainly, you know, a couple, three months, certainly more than twice a year would be ideal. I guess the church says once time a year is a minimum, right. but, but we'd like to do more than that. Cause you know, we love them. So. Right. We had a, I had a great situation for, for a short time when ours were a little and I had two other moms that had littles, you know, kind of the same age. And so we would meet once a week on, it was on Wednesday at one of the local parishes. One mom, two moms would stay out with the kids while one mom went in and then the next mom would go into confession. Um, And it was just fantastic because, well, there was, I was assured that there would, you know, I was certain there would be a time in that week that I could go and and I'd be able to frequent the sacrament um, of reconciliation and just the beauty of that freedom after experiencing God's mercy on a regular basis was fantastic. Then, you know, those moms moved away or different things happened. And I don't have that. I don't have that same group right now, but you're Allison mentioning, you know, taking the initiative and just starting some of these things that we need for community, um, how important that is. And that's what I was thinking about. I need to uh, see if I can get that going again. Mm, I love that. Yeah. To pair, um, like going to confession with the time to see your friends is just a wonderful way to do it. Cause you, it's on the schedule and I'm a lot more likely, you know, I, I do things that are on the schedule and if it's not on the schedule, then it's just out of mind. But just realizing that while there are a lot of ways that I need to um, relax and allow God to work in my daily life. There are also times, I mean, obviously mass on Sunday, you're going no matter what. And, you know, confession is one of those things that you just put it down and you don't let your kids be an excuse because we do need God's mercy. And I can go shopping on a Saturday without my kids, you know, without my baby for a few hours. So why can't I go to confession, uh, you know, at that same time or something like that. So, you know, it's just looking at your priorities and saying, where do I need to, where can I realistically make more time um, in these practical and sacramental ways uh, for, for the Lord? So for me right now, going to adoration doesn't always happen on my own, but I know that every other week I'm going to go with this group of women. And so definitely when you can come, when you can pair it with uh, a community activity, it just makes it all the more easier and yeah, just a wonderful experience. So I love that you were able to have that and hopefully, hopefully you can again. That's right. And now Allison, when you do that every other week with the 11 or 12 other ladies, is that during the day, do you bring your children with you or is that something that you schedule for kind of a, you know, a girl's time and you leave the children at home? Yeah, it's in the evening, so we leave the children at home. And then when I had a baby, I would I would bring the baby till they got to be a certain age, and that worked out okay. But yeah, it's it's especially with homeschooling. You just I'm very much ready to <laughs> go on Thursday nights and leave the kids at home and <laughs> have that time to myself. Sounds like that's what's going to be getting built into our calendar on Thursday nights. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving him the eye. <laughs> We've got about <clears throat> a little under three minutes, Allison. Um, Trey and Robin have really enjoyed talking with you here on the mystery of parenthood. And uh, I had to 
step out for a, a little bit, but I'm I'm back. I I was noticing this is essentially, or or can, can you sum up for the maybe the users that or the listeners who joined late, postpartum depression and what they should they should take away from your book as we get to the the bottom of the show. Can you just kind of go back over what you were the main thrust of your book is? Um, sure. Yes. Yeah. So postpartum depression or postpartum depletion, there are a variety of factors uh, that can lead to that. And if you're struggling postpartum, know that you're not alone, that a lot of mothers suffer in various degrees. Uh, and we just, and we struggle. And part of it is because the lack of community that we talked about earlier and part of it is our own unrealistic expectations of ourselves, but there's also a part of it that comes from nutritional depletion. Um, your hormones go a little crazy after you give birth. Your body has gone through a lot to grow that baby and to bring it into the world. And because we are a body-soul unity, what we do with our bodies does affect our, our minds and our emotional states. And a lot of times um, we have given everything of ourselves to our babies to grow their bodies, our vitamins and minerals. And a lot of times we need to restore those for ourselves. And so a big part of the book as well is taking care of your body so you can take care of your children. And part of that is getting sleep and it's physically recovering, but it's also getting good nutrition and taking supplements and, and good vitamins um, that can restore your hormone health. So um, that way it can restore your mind as well. Um, counseling can also be a big part of it or just realizing that you need to uh, just seek some help. At one point, I did take some medication because of the anxiety, and that helped me get back to normal. Uh, it can look every, different with every kid. One kid you could have postpartum depression with, and maybe uh, another it's just maybe that baby blues or that brain fog. But it's just recognizing when you need help and asking for that. Well, and I'm sorry. To yeah, that there's just resources out there. Awesome. Well, we're going to have to have you back, Allison. I'm so grateful to have had Robin Romanski and Allison off on I'm in awe. But um, anyway, I'm going to read. I'm going to do the prayer. So remember, only God can take the mystery out of parenthood. Pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. And he will. God bless you guys. Thanks. Thanks.